I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. Bit of a different show today. If you saw the post that I made on Monday, then you'll know that today's a live mailbag episode that was recorded on the Locker Room app. I'm going to be recording these every Monday for the foreseeable future, so definitely try and download the app if it's available to you on your mobile device. And join me there on Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern. Here's this week's episode, and I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Cliff. Hey, long time no speak. Yeah, it's been a hot minute, right? Quick question. Um, how much do you think that the lack of leadership has to do with uh, with the struggles of this team? We don't have a veteran in the room. There's no Kyle Lowry. There's no um, assistance with lots of NBA, you know, with lots of NBA um, experience. And I'm wondering where the Jays, where they're going to get that experience to learn how to be leaders and, and learn how to take over games. I mean, that's a great question to start off this uh, Q&A. Um, I think that the first thing is that Danny Ainge tried to address that during the offseason, right? That's why he went out and got Tristan Thompson, got himself Jeff Teague. Obviously, with the hopes that they'd have more of an impact to begin the season than what they have, Jeff Teague looks like a, um, a mistake at this point, if we're being completely honest. Tristan Thompson was starting to see a little bit more from him, but in terms of leadership, I'm not sure that Thompson was the right choice. Um, he spoke a lot at the start of the year about accountability and holding every person accountable. But so far, what we've seen from him and the rest of the team comes across more as apathetic. You know, they're talking about we need to be better, we will be better, but then they continue to make the same mistakes. Um, they're not heeding the coach when he's telling them to push the, push the pace. Um, and then on the assistant side of things, I've said this multiple times, I think Kyra Lawson was a huge loss to that, um, that backroom staff. They've brought in, um, Turner, was it Turner? They brought in Evan Turner, right? He's not even listed as an assistant on his team. Uh, I can't find it anywhere on the internet, even on the Celtics website. See, so that's great. I think he's got like an internship role or something to that that regard. So there's like you wonder how much his voice is being marginalized um, when they're trying to push across the coach's um, agenda, and then you wonder as well how much he's actually allowed to interact with these guys. Maybe he's there more as a player mentor for the younger guys that are on that roster. But there's definitely something to that, especially the fact that you're seeing this team blow big leads down the stretch and you're seeing that they usually start games quite well and then everything goes downhill um, once they come out of the break, right? Like the um, third and fourth quarter defense has been atrocious all year. Cam, I'll get you next, buddy. Um, So there's a huge issue for me there too. I'm not sure whether that is a lack of veteran leadership um, or it's just guys looking for their numbers, trying to make sure that they're in the um, the the all-star discussions, you know, like that got me yesterday. There was this, like Jason Tatum is a, a terrible loss for the Celtics. And then in the media um, availability afterwards, Jason Tatum's been pushed and pressed on his thoughts about whether he's done enough to make it to the all-star game. Like if you've just had a bad loss like this, talking about the all-star game um, isn't really where your head should be at. I know the media asked the question, but you could have easily deflected it or reverted it back to this game that you've just lost. Well, these kids are also in their 20s, like early 20s, and they're on the covers of video games, they're on the covers of magazines, they've like their their peers tell them how great they are. It, it's hard to them, they've already made it. I'm not even sure how much winning a title matters to these guys at this point in their careers, which is why that need for someone who can like shake them is, is so important that we just don't have that. There was something in the Atlanta Hawks game that I noticed at the end of the game, at the end of the third quarter, we're up by all kinds. Like I think in the 20s as well, or high teens, Tatum's playing with four bench players. And on three consecutive plays to end off that quarter, all he did was look for his own shot. Yes, he hit two of them, but that that's beyond the point. He's playing with four bench guys. You'd think that at some point he'd say, you know, why don't I set up one of these guys and, and get them going a little bit? Because we're going to need them if we're going to win something. A lot of that comes down to how slow they are as well to get up the floor. Like, um, cause it's much easier to isolate and say that you didn't, you didn't have the passing lane when you set up slowly. You know, it can be used as an excuse as much as it is a natural issue. Um, so Tatum looking off guys, in my opinion, is partially his way of 
going for what he wants and going ISO because he feels like he's the most reliable option in that moment. And by by going into your set slowly, you're kind of allowing him to do that because you're giving him the excuse to make that he can say, well, a pass wasn't open for you. If you, And that's part of the reason why I think the, the pace of this team is one of the biggest issues. You hear Brad Stevens on the sideline shouting push and run consistently, and they just don't seem to respond, um, especially down the stretch. And I don't know whether that's a conditioning issue, but it is allowing a lot of excuses that usually you wouldn't get if the team was running at a high pace. I totally agree with that. Thanks, Adam. Anytime, man, anytime. Thank you for jumping on. Cam, I got you up. Sean, you'll come up next, buddy. How's it going, Cam? Doing good, man. How about you? Yeah, man, I'm doing well, thank you. I'm doing well. So... My main point here, and I don't want to sound like I'm overreacting. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But my main thing right now is, like, where do you go? If you're Danny Ainge, where do you go from here? Like, you have Tatum and Brown. You have Smart. You have you have Rob Williams. You have Pritchard. You have guys that are, like, established, basically established role players on your team right now. With with Kimba's contract and with with his knee injuries, I don't really see any team wanting to take him on, and I honestly don't see the Celtics wanting to trade him. So that's a lot of money that you can't use to get other people. Sure, you have the trade exception, but that maximizes its amount in the off season, I believe. So I don't see them using the Hayward exception until the off season. But to really improve this team this year, you're going to have to use that exception. So. To improve the team this year, how do you even, where do you even go? Like, whose contract do you add in a trade to, to mac to match salaries for another player that can make an impact? And yeah, but where do you go? That's that's my question. Basically, you probably understand what I'm trying to say. I hope you do. Yeah, it's quite um, it's an existential question as well, right? Like, um, there's so many ways that you could go, and everybody's going to have their own opinions on what's best and what's um right for this team to do. And all of them are valid. Um, I think that for me, Kemba Walker is a non-tradable asset as far as I'm concerned. Not because of his skill level, but because of his contract and the fact that any return you get on him is going to be negative value for what the player that he could potentially become if he ever does make a full recovery, right? Um, also, talking a team into taking $34 million for the rest of this year, 36 next year, and it's almost assuming that he's going to opt into that $37.6 million on his final year because I just don't think he could leave that on the table. This is different to when Gordon Hayward opted out. He was younger than what Kemba will be. And it's also the fact that um, a point guard like Kemba that relies on speed and knee injuries pretty much one of the worst things that you can have happen, especially when it's degenerative like this. So I think Kemba's going to be a very hard contract to shake. And it may be that the Celtics bite the bullet if they really don't think it's working in at the end of the year. But for right now, I think Kemba's here and he's here to stay for at least this season, most likely for um, until the end of next season. If we're looking at what we want to improve, right? Like uh, for me, it's got to be the wing. It's um, There's a big hole where Haywood's left mm. and the Celtics are really feeling that pre- predominantly defensively, but there's definitely some offensive struggles as well that come with losing a playmaker and a slasher as high level as what Haywood was or is. Right. Um, I know people have thrown out Harrison Barnes' name. I think he's the most complete player that's available or um, air quotes available. You know, there's reasons for the Kings to move on from him. There's reasons for the Celtics to pursue him. He also brings that veteran leadership that um, Cliff and I just spoke about as well in terms of he knows what it takes to win a championship and he deserves to be on a roster that's good enough to contend. If you look beyond him, I know a lot of people like Nikola Vukovic Vucevic, um, he's not for me to be quite honest with you. I remember speaking about this on a podcast I did with um, Jonathan Macri, who covers the Knicks, and we were saying that feels like very much a, a San Antonio Spurs type trade more than a Celtics trade. Like yeah. uh, Vuce is in his thirties, he's on a high contract, twenty eight plus million a year. Um, he'd thrive in like a San Antonio system, but I just don't think bringing another guy that doesn't fit Tatum and Brown's timeline into the roster on a big contract again is the smart call. Um, just because, you know, at 30, he's going to have, what, one more high-level year in him, two if you're lucky, and then that's mm-hmm. it. Um, so I'm against him. Other guys that I like the idea of, um, there's a few, to be honest. I like the idea of, who else is there? Who else is being banded around? I'm thinking now. My... Uh, people were talking about Terrence Ross. There was yep. some John Collins talk. 
So if we go with John Collins for a moment, um, I've spoke, we've spoke about this in this room multiple times and we spoke mm-hmm. about it with Bobby Manning recently. I think John Collins is attainable, but you need um, assurances from your front office that they're willing to go deep into the tax to re-sign him at the end of the year. Right. Um, I think Atlanta will want some form of defensive perimeter player back, which means maybe they try and push for Marcus Smart. If they don't, if you don't, if you're not giving up Marcus Smart, they're going to want somebody like Aaron Neesmith or Romeo Langford, possibly both. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely possible to um, not only acquire John Collins, but acquire him without using the TPE, right? Like um, that's right. a possibility. But again, you want the assurances that a he's willing to. Re- um, you know, when you re-sign him because he's restricted, you can just match. But if he's going to throw throw a tantrum and want out in a year or two, what's the point in losing that money? So you're going to need a gentleman's agreement from Collins. You're going to need um, authorization from the the ownership team, which both things to get both things would be quite difficult. I like Terence Ross. Um, I think Terence Ross would be good. I'm not sure he's the sort of guy that comes in and makes a huge difference to the roster in terms of yeah. playing personnel. Um, PJ Tucker alike, but again, it's that's like really like a win now move, and this team is more than one move away from being a win now team. Um, is there any other names that you can think of that you'd like the idea of? Uh, not, not, I mean, the only one I really think would make a difference this year would be uh, Harrison Barnes, but you know, like I said, it, I don't see Danny using that full. I don't see him using the, the TPE this year when he can use the the full extent of it in the off season. But, you know, there's John Collins, but then there's also the question of, well, he's basically the number two option, I would say, on Atlanta right now. And if he – there was there was an article on The Athletic Girl near saying that he wasn't really happy with his role and happy with the amount of shots he was taking. So if he's ha- unhappy with that in Atlanta, then what is he going to be behind Tatum and Brown and probably Kimba? You know, like – there's there's an argument with uh, with uh, Vucevic because like you said he doesn't really fit the timeline, um, and with the way t- uh, Rob has been playing, that's another guy in front of of uh, Rob to hinder his development. That's you know I just don't really understand. I, I see the fit, I see the skill fit, but I just don't really understand. Outside of that, what what does he really bring to you that you can't develop with Rob or you can't already get from Tristan? Like, Vooch can space the floor, so can Tice, um, that kind of thing. But with with uh, with Kimba, I don't see him being moved, like you said. So I guess I kind of, kind of already asked this, and you gave me a great answer, but this season with, with the – Small, like five million TP from Cantor, with the younger guys, with the wing depth. Is there even really? Because we named Barnes, I don't really see it happening right now. Is there even a guy that makes a difference that is worth giving up or realistic in a sense at this point? That last word you used is the most important, right? Realistic. I mean, you can yeah. name pretty much any solid role player in the league and say they could make a difference. Attainability is the hardest part there. The only other guy that I think is attainable that, that could come in and make a legitimate difference at the four is PJ Tucker. But again, it's mm. such a short-minded move that I just don't know how that helps the team long-term. Like You might right. be able to re-sign him on a one-year deal for next year, but he's at an age as well where his impact on the floor is going to start being diminished. He's going to start waning. Um, somebody the other day came up with a really good idea for me, and I'm not sure on the... Um, legalities of it uh, because he's contracted to a team in Europe but somebody recommended the Celtics make a phone call to Barcelona and inquire about Nikola Mirotic mm. as a bench as a bench space I mean I like that idea I thought that was a bit of outside the box thinking you know he can yeah. perform in the NBA um, but I'm pretty sure that if you're under contract in Europe um, you're under contract in Europe you know what I mean I, so yeah that sounds right so um, I don't think that's a possibility. I did like the idea, though. It was a, a good idea that came. Um, so realistically, I know Cliff's put Aaron Gordon in the comments, so I don't want to miss that out because that's a good name too. Yeah. Um, I, was, I think Gordon had ha- add um, athleticism to the roster. He'd help push the pace because you've got another lob threat coming off the bench that can really inject some 
some speed and ferociousness on the break. Mm-hmm. You could also operate him at the four with him as the fourth option behind Kemba, Brown, and Tatum. And I think he could thrive in that role. But it's whether or not he'd become disillusioned in not being the one or two guy like he's become used to throughout his career so far. Right, right. Um, I got one more question. Uh, if, if there's other people that want to come on, I can get out of here now. I don't want to prevent anybody else from coming on. But really quickly, um, kind of big picture-wise, do you see the – if let's put this in three categories, right? Uh, Dan, let's put it one in Danny Ainge, two is Stevens, and three is the players. With the struggles this year, do you obviously they all deserve some blame to an extent? But if you had to put most of the blame on one of those three, who would it be? Would it be Danny for the roster construction? Would it be Brad for whatever you know, uh, game management rotations, etc.? Or would it be the players for just obviously you know they're the ones with the ball? They are at the end of the day, they make the plays. Yada yada yada. Who would you? put most of the blame on if you had to oh boy um i think i'm going to do this in percentages i think that's the best way because it's no one person's fault mm-hmm. right so like uh, i think 50 percent of the blame should be levied at Ainge. um he puts the roster together he should ensure that stevens has the right tools to do the job that's required of him now when it's a mm-hmm. rebuild those tools don't need to be as sharp they don't need to be as great a fit um when your fan base and when you you're kind of expecting to to be challenging for a championship, then that's your job to put a winning roster on the floor. I think that he's made a few slight mistakes over the last few years, not consolidating draft picks into proven NBA talent. I think he's passed on a few trades that he probably regrets passing on at this point. Um, So 50% I'd put on Ainge. I'd put probably 25, no, 20% on the players. Um, At the end of the day, you're the ones on the floor that need to produce and, regardless of what level your roster is, there's never an excuse for not playing um, with high intensity and full effort every night. And we haven't seen that, which is unusual for a Celtics team. That's been kind of a downward trend for the last 18 months to two years, right? We've seen that. And um, I I blame the players for that. There's definitely something in that locker room culture that, to me, it feels entitled. Like Because they've had so much success so early in their careers, they think that, that is a given and it's not, it doesn't have to yep. be earned. So um, I feel like that's a big issue. And then I'd put 30% of it on Brad Stevens because as the coach, you should be the one motivating these guys and ensuring that type of negative locker room culture doesn't creep in. And he's been very bad at managing players in terms of keeping everybody on the same page, making sure everybody mm-hmm. sticks to the game plan, um, pulling guys out when they're not performing. That's a big thing for me. If you watch like mm-hmm. um if you watch Popovich coach, if, if a guy misses his rotations once, he gets a like, he, pop goes in right on the sideline. Yeah. You miss your rotation a second time, you're out, and you don't know if you're getting back into the game. We don't see that from Stevens, and I think that's um, one of the biggest flaws I have with Brad Stevens, but I am a big Brad Stevens supporter at the same time. Yeah, I just think there's a big, from top to bottom, a big lack of accountability issue, like you pointed to. Um yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I'll let you get somebody else in here. I've been on here for a minute. But, again, thanks for having me, and uh, take care. Of course, man. Stay safe. Thank you for joining in. Okay, my buddy Sean, let's get you up, Sean. Yeah, I just have two quick questions. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, first off, why, <laughs> Adam, are we not putting more blame on you for what's going on with the Celtics. That's my first question. And my second question is, why are we not putting more blame on Brad Stevens for derailing the all-NBA potential that Grant Williams has? Okay, so uh, first of all, why are we not putting any more blame on me? It's very hard to impact winning from four to 5,000 miles away. That's an excuse. That's an excuse. uh, It is an excuse. I think it's a very good one. Um, I think it's one that could probably keep me in a job for another year or two. Uh, a few thousand miles difference, you know, there's only so much shouting at my TV that can be heard across the Atlantic. But I definitely take a share of the blame. Um, more than happily take a share. Uh, second one, I think Brad Stevens is getting more criticism than what he's had pre- in previous years. I feel like because of the job he's done, when this roster was rebuilding, especially during the Isaiah Thomas years, he earned himself some goodwill among Celtics fans. And there was definitely a period of time where Brad Stevens could do no wrong amongst a large portion of Celtics fans. 
I think that he's still one of the more talented younger NBA coaches, but we're starting to see the flaws in his management style now. And now it's up to him to adjust, right? Like it's okay being flawed, but recognize what you're doing poorly and make moves, make steps to improve yourself and improve your craft. And at the moment, he seems very much, this is my coaching style. I will not change. And to be fair, he's seen a modicum of success with his coaching style, multiple conference finals appearances um, in recent years. But I definitely do think that his um, offensive sets are kind of rudimentary this year. We're not seeing too much off-ball movement, very stagnant. But again, as I said, he is preaching pace to these guys, but these guys aren't responding to what he's asking. And that, again, has to fall on the coach for accountability because if you can't motivate your players to listen to you, if you don't strike the fear of God into these young guys, then that has to be an issue. And I do think, um, Cliff mentioned this as well, I do think a strong-minded, strong voice of an assistant coach would go a long way to negating some of these issues. But again, the book should start with Brad in terms of motivation and holding his guys accountable, which I feel like, at least in front of everybody, on the sidelines, in the media room, he tends to protect everybody, and that's fine. But I just don't envision Brad being the guy to kick things across the room and scream and shout. And when you're dealing with youngsters, sometimes you need to show them where the boundaries are by uh, raising your voice a little bit. Well, and here's the thing that I'll actually ask, and this is my one question, and I'll step down, because when it comes to Celtics voices, Adam, you know that I respect you among the best. My question is, is that I don't mean this as a way of taking away from the frustration, because I get it, you know with the cores that y'all had in place, so on and so forth, you know, you would expect to have been there. And I can see also that there's it's clearly past time for you to have faith that Danny Ainge will ever get that one over-the-top move that you had hoped Kimba or Kyrie would be. But at the end of the day, you do have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Brad Stevens. And I can honestly say, like, for instance, as a Memphis fan, if I were to trade our coaching staff and roster, for Boston's, I would do it all day long because of the potential and the youth that is there with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I mean, you've got a situation that I think more than 25 teams in the NBA would trade positions with you to have. How much solace do Celtics fans have in that? Not to take away from the struggles of this year and, and you know, the, the roster construction that's going on, but that seems to be kind of a watered-down silver lining to me from an outside perspective more than it should be because there's just so much to like, but I can certainly understand if you don't have the faith from past transactions that haven't worked out that Ainge is truly going to make the most of it while Tatum and Brown are truly in their primes. Hope that question makes sense, but I just I, I still remain very jealous of the Brown and, and Tatum, you know, combination along with. Yeah. So first of all, thank you very much for the nice words about me. Um, there's some great Celtics covers, so um, to be held in that high regard means a lot. Um, okay, we're past the soppy stuff now. Let's get back to it. So first things first, like Memphis's coach is one of the only young coaches, um, along with Quinn Snyder, that I kind of hold in a regard that's equal to or above Brad Stevens, right? Like, I think Taylor Jenkins is a great coach. I think Quinn Snyder is a great coach. Um, the Celtics fans aren't taking much solace in the fact that they have one of the best young coaches in the league. Um, the Celtics fans aren't taking much solace in the fact they have two young, um, potentially multiple-time NBA All-Stars. What they're taking solace is in the fact that at the moment they are losing and this team looks incredibly uneven, You know, very disjointed performances. Uh, there's definitely issues with the roster construction. There's too much youth for a team that's expected to win. And one of the things that I've kind of been saying is if, if this is the team that Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens want and they see a long-term future with this team and they're encouraged and excited about the development of three or four of these young guys, then you need to come out and start managing expectations with the media. Like we know that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be um, going to end their seed careers, possibly with multiple rings, possibly with one or two. We know that we've got a potential to make moves now and win now, but we like the idea of building around the core we've put in place because we would like to go down the Warriors route and have a sustained period of success that lasts four to five years instead of just shooting for the stars for one season. Um, so there's a lot that's 
for me, needs to kind of be discussed more openly. And I understand that's insane to expect that from a front office and a coach because that's just not the way things are done in sports. But I also think that with the way the fan base is split at the moment, with the way that some people are all in on letting everything play out and develop, and then other people are all in on moving everyone now and challenging for a championship now, um, I think that there's a lot of discontent. So I understand 25, 26 teams in the league would most likely love to be in Boston's position right now. But as a guy that watches the Celtics every game, that speaks to people um, closer to the team than what I am, this is probably one of the toughest positions you can find yourself in because you're basically at the head of the table in NBA purgatory right now. I hope that answers your question. It does. Adam, always a pleasure, bud. Hope you have a good one. and We'll, uh, we'll talk soon, man. Have a great one. Of course, man. Thank you very much for joining in. Who's up next? Who have I got? Oh, I've got no request to speak. Shravan, if you want me to answer your question, you have to jump on stage, buddy. Um, generally, if everybody's ever been in this room with me when I've done something like this, you'll know that I'm not one to really speak when there's no one on stage. So uh, I'm going to basically just wait for somebody to hit that. Oh, there we go, straight away. Hey, man, how's it going? Yo, what's good? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, I'm just wondering, what do you think? Like, wh- which for your fourth quarter, what like concerns you more, like the defense or like the offense in general, or is it like a combination of both? Because I feel like right now, I feel like offensively, I felt like they were too much jump shot, and then defensively, I felt like it was just like the timing was slid off. Like one, like JB was like a step away, and then Ingram hits that three. But I feel like both Ingram and like Zion were like unconscious. So I, I couldn't blame the much of the defense for like because I. But I thought like some Rob William minutes is like the counter matchup for Zion. But I felt like offensively, like I think people have like it's gotten very predictable. Even though you had those clutch stops, uh, clutch buckets to get you back in the game. But like I don't know. I think um, they didn't capitalize like anything up like going to the rim or anything like that. It was just like. Heavy jump shot. And then I guess my next question adding on to that is like, how do you think Kemba could be productive? I guess if his like shots not falling, like any other way, like he could like, for example, like at least create more open looks or not uncontested by like drawing gravity or something like that. Yeah. So let's start with the offense. Then we'll kind of touch on the defense and then we'll go to what we think Kemba could uh, produce with. And if you want to push back on any of these takes, feel free. Obviously I don't claim to be a guru. Um, there's always people that know more. So um, my first take on the offense is it's completely stagnant. It's past the joke. For, for stretches, we're seeing really good basketball. That generally is tied to pace, as far as I'm concerned. Like When they run, good things happen. It's kind of like um, it's expected in the NBA. When you run, you get open looks. And the best form of transition defense is to make shots, right? Because then there's no transition basketball. Um, if you're looking at what they're actually doing that's not working, We've seen them play a lot of baseline in certain games. You'll have loads of baseline cutters, guys coming from the uh, weak side corner into the weak side dunker spot, and there's easy dump path passes. We've seen guys run get actions, and that's opened up driving lanes to turn the corner and get downhill. But it seems to be very few and far between. Like They'll do that for a game, and it's excellent, and then they'll kind of move on. And I've made jokes saying maybe this is Brad Stevens saying, right, we know this works, let's stop running it so teams don't figure us out, and we'll come back to it when the games really matter. Um, I doubt that's actually what's going on. The stagnation for me is ridiculous. You're basically putting so much pressure on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in a season where Tatum is carrying um, side effects from COVID. Brown is playing with knee tendonitis and the mileage you're putting on their clock, in my opinion, doesn't bode well for what could happen in the playoffs. These guys need to be fit and healthy and they're just playing too many minutes, in my opinion, for guys carrying slight um, health concerns. Defensively, it all comes down to the weak side help, right? I mean, everything they're doing wrong is coming off that help. Defender rotating over from the weak side. That play where Brown overhelped on um, Zion to leave. Who was it who he left open? Who was it um, open? Yeah, so open on a catch and shoot. You don't help off the strong side. That's just pretty much the way it should be, especially when you're on the strong side wing guarding the team's best um, perimeter scorer. So I understand that Brown was basically just digging and it was a deep dig. And he didn't get the the contact he was hoping to. He didn't force the panic from um, Zion that he was hoping to. And Zion stayed composed and managed to find Ingram. 
but you should never be helping in that situation. You need to stay home on the strong side when the best scorer is on the wing because you're just giving up too much room and asking to be punished. And it's not just Jalen Brown that's done that. We see all the time guys are getting caught up um, not watching what, where the cutters are coming from. They're not rotating quick enough. Uh, that, that weak side defense has been a problem, but overhelping as well has been a huge issue off the strong side. Um, they're flooding the paint too much. I feel like there's so much, so many times that teams will put them into a rotation and you will see the, the offense work the ball out to the perimeter. And you've got three or four Celtics guys um, flooded around the key, and then somebody has to scramble to close out, right? And it's a flyby closeout, so you jump at the closeout to try and scare the shot away. And that's just not great defense. You, like, there's too many available guys on the perimeter because there's so much panic on the interior. I just feel like everybody playing D doesn't really know their roles to the level that they should do to be effective. And uh, it's concerning because yeah. once the playoffs come around, they're going to get schemed against real bad. Yeah, I'm just like kind of curious, like just to see, because it's like interesting, because like the personnel really didn't change, and like we've seen in the past, they've had like best defensive ratings with like Isaiah Thomas and like like Isaiah Thomas and like Olenek on the court. So I'm just like curious to know, like, is it like just like a mental thing, or like did they change something up? Because I felt like we always as fans, even during like I think the Kyrie years, like I think they were actually, I personally think at least they looked a lot better defensively um, in the fourth quarter than they did despite that. But, um... I think it's an effort issue, personally. Mm. If you look at the statistics, um, I could pull them up again now because they would have changed. Let me pull them up. But basically, third quarter and fourth quarter defense have absolutely destroyed this team all season. Uh, with Marcus Smart, without Marcus Smart, it's got worse without Marcus Smart, as you would expect it to. Yeah. But overall, the team's third and fourth quarter defense has been absolutely disgusting. Uh, I'm just pulling it up now. They've been in the bottom 10, maybe more. Yeah, yeah, I know. I uh, that. Let me pull it up. Advanced filters by quarter, fourth, third quarter first. We'll start with the third. We'll go defensive rating. We'll do it high to low. Okay, yeah, so think, yeah, that concerns me in the sense that like, like going into a playoff seat and into like, like those are things you just don't want to carry over into like a playoff seat, into like the playoffs. Like I feel like. I need to have like a good stretch of games. Where, right, like, so, so Boston where, are like, 23rd right now in third quarter defense. They're giving up 116 points, point, 116.4 points per 100 possessions. That's, yeah. So like you say, they need a good stretch where they're honed in, right? If we go to fourth quarter real quick and just check that out, and then we go back down, they're 25th in the fourth quarter. The only teams worse than them are the Grizzlies, the Clippers, the Mavs, the Nets, and the Hawks. Clippers surprised me. Everybody else, I'm not shot by. Yeah. But, like, and then the other thing I think is the other thing um, that surprises me is every time, like, I think in the last game, even when they were in the fourth, like, it's so when as soon as they start blitzing Tatum, he passes the ball once. And then, like, the second part, like, the sec, the guy that he gets the ball, like, doesn't know what to do. And then they just give it back to him. And then it goes back to a possession. Like, I feel like the there's no like reaction play. So as soon as Tatum gets blitz, like no one like maybe screens him away or like he gets into the cut or something like that. It just seems like he gets blitz and then he just gets the ball back and then he just tries to go for a jump shot. So I just feel like, I don't know. There, um, there's just like some serious like stagnancies that concern me, I guess going into that. I think they need to clean up. Um, so I think that need, there's no, like, I think like I've talked about this on other apps, but there's like the offense has become like, super stagnant like because there's no i think facilitator which i think if smart comes back like you won't be super stagnant but like um i guess like to some degree i think they're very predictable yeah for sure they're more than very they're like they're an open book right you know it's going to be jason Tatum or jalen brown on the wing coming off a spread pick and roll and going iso the one good thing we've seen is Kemba Walker, Daniel Tice open corner pick and rolls because they get Tice so much room to get that mid-range jump shot up that I'm really annoyed we only see it once or twice a game, if we see it at all. I think that that's um, a play that when they really need an easy two, they should run that play because it's been consistently good for them all season. Um, other than that, there really is not much going on there. You don't see much off-ball movement, very little off-ball screens being set. So you're not forcing defenses into rotations. And I think this kind of leads on to what you were saying, how can they use Kemba? This is where Kemba should be 
the most impactful, but the lack of scoring he's showing at the minute has really reduced his scoring gravity. So teams aren't reacting to him drifting around the mid-range off-ball. They're not reacting to cross screens or flex screens being set for him to cut across and get open. Yeah, and the other thing, the other thing that one more thing I want to add, but the other thing I've like, I'm just like surprised. It seems like they have abandoned. I was like, I see no like screen and seal anymore to like get like Tatum and pick and roll. And then like, I felt like when you do screen and seal, like that was like the easiest way to get easy baskets at the rim. Yeah. The rest side. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like if, like, I don't know if like, I know they got called for it, like on a foul, like some dumb foul earlier, but like, I felt like that was like an easy, easy way to get like just points at the rim, and then, then you can start getting the defense scrambling because now they because now one big defender would be sealed off. So I don't know. Yeah. Just like I'm just trying to see like I think my goal is that by the All Star break, like and after that, like they have like saw they found something that they can rely on in the second half consistently because I feel like second quarter I, like they've been like on a tear, but. Um, those third and fourth quarters have been like late third and early fourth have been like the worst. Yeah, third, um, all yeah, early third and even the early fourth, they seem to have like two games in a row now they've gone cold early in the fourth. Like they've had two big leads in a row, one against Atlanta, one against um, New Orleans, and they've pretty much gone for four to five minutes of a cold stretch in the final quarter of the game and let the team back in. So that's a big issue for me as well. I'm just looking at pace now because I feel like pace is a big issue in the second half. So if we look at their pace for, okay, so they're not that bad. They're 10th in pace during the second half of games. That is not what I would expect. I was expecting them to be a lot lower than that. Um, They seem to just dawdle up the floor. And my biggest thing is you're allowing team defenses to get set before you start going into your own offensive motions. And that is one of the reasons that isolations are occurring so frequently because it's much harder to break a team down once there is no advantage, right? Because the defense is set you're set up now now it's just going to be head to head and iso is usually one of the more reliable ways of getting a score there so that pace for me is one of the most important factors that could improve that could really help this team um heading into the all-star break yeah all right that's all i got man all right man it's good to speak to you man i appreciate it who's up next guys i've got no speaker requests and this makes me sad yeah shravan what's going on shravan What's up, Adam? You didn't answer my question, my first question. What was the first question? Why are Celtics trash? Oh, <laughs> man, this is going on a Celtics podcast. You're going to get <laughs> torn apart for this. I'm going to put your ass in the description and everything. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've explained that throughout this entire Q&A, right? I mean... Nah, nah, I'm just joking. So, you, I, I didn't... I never thought I would hear bad things about the Brad Stevens defense. Seriously, like, I didn't know that they would so low in third quarter and fourth quarter scoring. And, like, what do you think the teams are taking advantage of? Or is, is it a pure effort issue from the Celtics? So, are teams attacking the drop or switch scheme of the Celtics with specific actions? Or why are this not good? I never expected that of a Brad Stevens defense. Honestly, I think that teams are forcing mismatches more and the Celtics aren't reacting and scramming guys out quick enough. Um, I think that's one of the big things. There was a few plays I watched yesterday where um, Kemba Walker got switched on to guys like Nico Melli. He got switched on to guys like um, Brandon Ingram. And by the time the ball had worked its way into whoever had posted up Kemba, it was too late to scram him out of there, right? So it's an easy turnaround. It's an easy pull-up. Or you can just bully your way in and finish around the rim. So that switch-heavy system works, but you need to be so tuned in to when you need to scram a guy out of a mismatch, and you need to do it so quickly that you take away the advantage before the ball finds that guy. That, that's been one of the biggest issues for me. Another one is guys not knowing their role, so um, that comes with youth as well, like the bench unit specifically. Um, when they're switching, they sometimes double up on a guy by accident, or they don't know whether they're fronting a post or whether they're three-quarter fronting or whether they're going to defend the post from the back and little nuances like that. There was, um, but I even saw that happen to Jason Tatum. He was fronting Zion in the post, um, got beat over the top, and then Zion just had an easy lane to the hoop. And there's little things like that where usually in a Brad Stevens coach defense, teams kind of react to that. So the weak side guy um, 
the weak side, lower eye. So lower weak side eye goal will usually sag in a little bit. So if Zion beats that after over the top pass, then the weak side, lower weak side guy can rotate over and protect the rim. And we're just seeing very late rotations. So it's definitely an effort and concentration issue for me personally. And also like about the offense, like is it is there too much side to side action instead of not short action? And why uh, I saw some positions where Tatum was just pulling up for like when he gets a screen, he takes his dribble to the left and then pulls up for a three instead of even thinking or about attacking the rim. Like, like what do you think? Do they need better sets? Like, at least some guards, when they come out of pick and rolls, high pick and rolls, they at least try to attack the big of the dribble. But I don't see that many from the Celtics at all. I don't think even Kemba does that anymore. No, so it's very much you go ISO. If the shot's there, take it. If it's not there, then drive. And then if you drive, you try and finish. There's not much um, side-to-side ball movement. And there's definitely not much off-ball screening action. There's not even much wedge screening action to try and get a big man like Tice to pop. So um, there's a lot of issues with that offense. It's very stagnant, very stationary. Um, there was a good piece out today. Do you, got, do, do you subscribe to the True Hoop newsletter? True Hoop? No, it's $10 a month. It's too much. <laughs> so um, there was a good piece today about Quinn Schneider's offense and how he has basically told the jazz that whenever you see an opening from free, you fire away. I don't care if people think it's selfish, um, you fire away. And I think that Brad Stevens is kind of following a very similar mantra. The only difference is that the jazz play with a bit more pace and the jazz also have Rudy Gobert to fight for offensive boards. Right. And the screens. Also, that I think like Donald Mitchell attacks the rim more than Tatum or Brown. Just, that's just my way. I can't back it up with stats right now, but I think, it's true. Donovan Mitchell definitely probably does, to be fair. I know that he's, um, in his mid-range shots have decreased while his um, three-point attempts have increased. And we've seen that with Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown has become almost automatic from mid-range. So you don't mind him working there. But he's also a very reliable three-point shooter. So statistically, you want him shooting threes. I just feel like the way they're finding their three-point shots is so easy to scheme against with um, a hedge and recover or a hard hedge or... Um, a very good show and that you know if you if you're running side pick and roll if you ice that pick and roll you're forcing guys off where they want to be so they'll just reset and run a spread pick and roll again instead of trying to work out of that drive off the ice so it's very much like a we're going to run screen and roll and that's what we're going to do and if we get countered we're going to reset and run it again and that's where the biggest issues for me are because teams just know how to defend that because it's such a rudimentary type of offense that um, it's everyone really putting a lot of pressure. Like teams are getting better at it because everyone is running the same thing. And also, uh, like my thing is that if you go and have a north south action, you draw like actual help defense. Like the help defender actually has to react to you completely, or you draw fouls. So if your offense is stagnant, if you're not hitting jump shots, just go to the free throw line, get yourself in rhythm set your defense so that your defense is better and then repeat this like instead of just jacking up shots all the time that's what every celtics fan has been saying at the moment like drive put pressure on the defense make them collapse and then make the right read out of the collapse right and if you can get fouled on the way to doing that then great um we've seen that's more what of the that. jazz are good at like if you see jazz offense they drive they kick out they drive they kick out and the defense breaks at some point you can't handle that many rotations at once. And that's the problem that the Celtics have at the moment. They do, like You look at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they're developing as um, distributors and facilitators, but there's also a lack of trust in like from them to their younger counterparts. That's how I feel. You'll see Jason Tatum drive, draw two, look at Romeo, sorry, Romeo, Aaron Neesmith that's available and open and look off him and settle for that contested jumper. You'll see Jalen Brown do similar. You'll see them look off at Peyton Pritchard and try and get a tough bucket themselves. And I don't know whether that's part of a hierarchical scheme that Brad Stevens has implemented. I don't know if that's because they don't trust these guys or if they simply think that the better, higher percentage chance of getting a score is from them taking the shot. So 
I completely agree. You do need to force the defense to collapse. You need to force those rotations because the defense will snap. But when you're spending 14 seconds even getting into your set, it's very hard to put the defense under that type of pressure consistently, which brings me back to the pace issue again. So why do you think the pace is low? Honestly, um, I think there's too many guys carrying um, slight injuries, slight health issues. That that's why they're starting out playing fast and then they're slowing down in the second half. Kemba says his knees are fine, but how great are they compared to when he was in Charlotte? Tatum saying he's getting gassed more due to effects of COVID, completely understandable. Jalen Brown's playing with slight knee tendonitis. Um, so if your three stars are struggling to run the floor at high pace throughout the entire game, then you obviously you want to slow it down and rely on the isolation play. But I just don't think that's working. I just don't think they're... I think they're a piece or two away that are high-level scorers and high-level 3 and D guys that can really make that um, half-court, slow-it-down type of offense work. And also, like, I'm comparing to your... Like, make, I'll give you an example of the earlier point. So if you see Lakers' offense, like when he, even when AD is there, if they're doubled or they get even some slight help, both AD and LeBron kick out to whoever it is there. Even the they break the shots the entire game, they do it even in the fourth quarters. So they are very consistent that way. Ball finds the open man. So why isn't that happening for Celtics more? That is the $100 million question, man. There's no answer because all logic tells you you find the open man. Every piece of logic in your soul tells you that if a guy's open on the corner, you feed that guy. If a guy's open on the wing, feed him. Maybe he'll run on the rip through and attack the rim, draw a foul himself. Maybe he'll pull up. Will it go in? Who knows? But the only way for everyone on that floor to find rhythm is to get touches in the offense and not be a bailout option because that's not helping anybody in terms of development and in terms of building towards something more exactly. sustainable. Yeah, you're right. So what you think, uh, do you have free throw rate stats? Is it bad or is it fine? I'm pulling them up now. So what we're talking about, free throw percentage. Free throw rate, not percentage. Uh, no, I don't have that in front of me. I've only got the free throw percentage in front of me. I've got attempts as well, but I don't have rate per 100 possessions or anything like that. I could log in, but it would just make for bad listening. And also, one more. I had one more comment. Did you listen to Bill Simmons' podcast today? I did not. Um, Bill, I find Bill Simmons' podcast far too long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I had a bunch of time today, so I generally don't listen to his podcast because he has been saying some strange stuff now. Nowadays, but I think he called the Clippers the rich Celtics because Clippers have the exact same issues, but they're way more talented, so it bails them out, and their their roster is more veteran oriented, so those players are much more consistent. But they have the same like not sort issue on offense because no one can put pressure on them because Kawhi and PG are more like shooters, mid range players, or Kawhi has post ups, but they have no one who can attack the rim consistently. I'd agree with that, to be quite fair. I think that's one of the reasons they brought in Luke Kennard, because Luke Kennard's got that scoring gravity a little bit to facilitate as well. But you're right, they don't have anybody that can really pound the rim. Um, I think that's where they're going to really feel that Montrez Harrell loss um, during the postseason, especially that pick and roll with Lou Will off the bench. Uh, and that's what Boston are missing right now. And I feel like that's what they thought they were getting in Jeff Teague, a guy that was going to penetrate and force collapses. And what they really got in Jeff Teague was a guy that is not producing any form of consistent rate at all. Another thing that's hurting the Celtics, free throw shooting, just because I've got it up here, so I might as well bring it up. Um, they're 22nd in free throw percentage across the league. They're only hitting 76.2% of their free throws. So, And they're getting to the line Fairly regularly, to be fair. I mean, um, they're getting to the line duh, 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 22 times a game on average. So, yeah. what was that? I think that's good. They're actually, I think they're quite, they're 14th in the league for free throws attempted, but they're one of the worst teams in the league for free throw conversion. So, obviously, there's issues there that you want to try and iron out too. What do you think about play of Robert Williams playmaking recently? I've been screaming for Robert Williams as a playmaker for a long time. Um, I think his ability in the short role is going to be integral to his development. I've always said he's like a Bam Adebayo light, right? Like um, 
he can do pretty much everything that Bam can do, but uh, his playmaking ability isn't at the same level as Bam's. But obviously, he brings the athleticism that Bam doesn't have to that extent. Um, I definitely think that if he continues that mid-range to develop that mid-range shot, if he continues to develop his um, swing passing ability, he's going to be a very tough guy to defend um, just because of the vertical spacing he provides. And he's starting to earn more minutes now as well. So I'm encouraged. I'm excited to see how he develops with a, a consistent running the lineup. Thanks, Adam. Uh, anytime, man. Thank you very much for jumping up. All right, guys, I've got time for... Okay, we've got somebody already. How are you doing? Hey, man. Is that Hunter? Hi. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just wondering what you thought went wrong at the end of the game yesterday. Sorry if I didn't catch it earlier. No, it's fine. Um, I think the defense um, lacked effort. I think that the rotations were quite poor. The... Perimeter defense was quite weak, so we put a lot of pressure on the interior defense to make up for that. And then, obviously, because of those rotations being so weak, there was very little health defense, which allowed guys to get hot. I also think you need to give a lot of credit to the adjustment that New Orleans made in the second half. They um, took the ball out of Lonzo's hands and put it in Zion's a lot more, and they're developing Zion as a point forward anyway. So it's not shocking to see that. But it allowed them to play at a much faster pace because Lonzo's been draining threes at a decent rate. He stretched them out a little bit. Nico Melli's um, floor spacing really caused the Celtics problems as well. And that created the driving lanes for Zion. And the difference between the first half and the second half was Zion was catching the ball in the post in the first half. And Tristan Thompson was winning that battle quite easily. Along with Daniel Tice putting in some serious work, once Zion's getting downhill and there's floor spacing and driving lanes, that changes the narrative completely. So I think good adjustments by Van Gundy for New Orleans and very poor effort from Boston defensively pretty much flipped the script on that. And then obviously they, the Celtics went cold in the fourth. Josh Hart played exceptional defense. Um, so yeah, I think it was just all about effort and scheme and Brad Stevens just didn't adjust quick enough to take away the space that was getting Zion going. Well, that's a good answer, man. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. Um, I was one more thing. Um, what do you think about Pritchard? Like his develop- Um, in what sense? Just like I feel like he's becoming almost their third best scorer whenever Kimba's, you know. No. Um. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely one of the more reliable guys off the bench now, right? Um. He's poised when he breaks. Um. Breaks down defenses off the dribble. He's fearless going up against taller guys. Uh. Around the rim. His jump shooting is there. We've seen a few colder games from him, but that's obviously going to happen. I am, pre- I, I do try and preach a bit of patience with Pritchard because he, the rookie wall is going to hit hard this year just because of how short the season is and how quick the games are coming. And when it hits, we're going to see some poor games from him. Um, I do think at the moment he's, in terms of scoring, he's their best bench option. Um, I also think that relying on a first-year guy that most people didn't even have going in the second round is kind of indicative of what the Celtics issues are this year. Um, He's been great. I I still have questions about how much more he can improve from where he is at the moment. But in terms of coming in and really making an impact, I think Pritchard's development's been above expected. And they just need to keep finding ways to get get him open and allow him to start making plays off the dribble more. Oh, yeah, man. Um, This comment from this guy is pretty... Interesting. Let me pull it up. I'll read it out. Uh, I would love to know if the Celtics' assist totals fall in the fourth quarter compared to the other three quarters. Let me see if I've got that for you. Okay, so, yeah. So you want it in the fourth quarter. So let's have a look. So we'll go through it quarter by quarter. Okay, so in the first quarter, the Celtics rank 18th for assists with 6.4 on average per quarter, per first. In the second quarter, they're ranking... 29th, they're really not moving the ball in the second quarter. Only 5.3 assists per game in the second. If we go to the third, the Celtics are probably right down the bottom too. Yeah, they're 22nd in the third with 5.9 assists per quarter. And then in the fourth, I'm expecting this to be terrible, so which means it's probably going to be good. The Celtics are 29th again with 4.5. So on average, they're you know, uh, one of the worst passing teams in the league if we're being quite consistent with what we've seen from those quarter-by-quarter breakdowns. I think that's a lot to do with the pick and roll scheme, the isolation scheme. I also think it's a lot to do with the fact that there is no secondary playmaking in this roster. So by secondary playmaking, I mean like your set screen and roll and slip into the short roll. 
receive the ball on a short roll and swing it, redirect the ball out because the defense is closing in on you. The weak side is going to be open for a secondary attack. We don't see much of that. And that's something that Miami do exceptionally well. And um, that's another reason why they should, the Celtics should continue to build Rob Williams passing game because that secondary creation is going to be um, super important once the playoffs reach. Uh, another team that do great with that is uh, Philadelphia. They like to run a high low with um, Embiid as the high guy and Simmons down low. So when they feed Simmons, Simmons can redirect out to shooters. Uh, it works great. It forces defenses to break quite early in a shot clock and gets great looks. So that's a big issue for me. And I think that's one of the reasons the Celtics assist per uh, quarter and assist per game are among the lowest in the league. I don't know if that answers your question. That seemed like a good answer, man. Um, talking about Celtics need Lonzo. Pretty funny. I mean, Lonzo makes a ton of sense from a lot of different standpoints. I don't know if he's the guy that... Um, changes the narrative here i mean the fact that the pelicans took the ball out of his hands and put it in zion's is very telling about what they think of his playmaking abilities as a whole i think that lonzo's biggest flaw is he doesn't penetrate much like he plays pretty much um exclusively on the perimeter and when you have passing skills of his level um penetrating and then kicking out that's where your bread and butter should realistically be because you can see passes that other guys just simply cannot see and until he gets the confidence to penetrate off the dribble drive and really start to try and work in that mid-range and in that low post area and then feed guys out, Lonzo's value is going to be rather limited to just an off-ball jump shooter that can distribute. Now that you mention that, man, that is really what y'all need is somebody who can drive and kick. Oh, who yeah. Do you think that sure. is? Honestly, I have no idea uh, <laughs> who's, ava- who's available, who's yeah. a realistic target. Um, I just don't know who would be that guy. I know a lot of guys were... Um, interested interested in Derek Rose at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's gone to the Knicks now, so that's not viable. Maybe Rajon Rondo, maybe if the Celtics mm. do end up doing a deal with Dude, the... I did not even think about that. Man. <laughs> that, that would just be like my favorite thing in the world, for real. Yeah, off the bench, he's exactly what you hope Tristan, um, Jeff Teague would be, except with better perimeter defense. Yeah, exactly. So it makes sense to me um, whether or not Atlanta would be willing to move on from Rondo. That's a, huge, that's a completely different Do you think question. that could actually happen? Um, I think Atlanta's got a big log jam across multiple positions, and mm-hmm. they're going to need to they're going to need to make some tough decisions before the trade deadline. Yeah, y'all don't really have much to offer, do you? Uh, I think if that was to happen, it would be part of a larger trade. Yeah, so it would be part of acquiring somebody like John Collins, mm. uh, which would probably most likely see Marcus Smart or a package of young guys uh, go the opposite direction. Yeah, what do you think about your big men? Are you solid? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the way you've got to look at it is outside of Jokic, AD, Bam, who else am I missing? I'm missing one name that's just gone out of my head. Uh, Embiid. Yeah. Um, there's really only four or five like elite level beaks, right? And if mm. you don't have one of them, then you need to have a collective of guys that do one or two things exceptionally well. So you need a guy that can rebound, a guy that can space the floor vertically, and then a guy that can... Um, operate in the short roll and it can score from free. So you've got the vertical space in the short roll in Rob You know Williams. who that is, you've honestly? Got, who's Jonas that? Val- Jonas Valanciunas. Oh man, I've been screaming for Jonas for about two years now. Um, I don't know if that had happened though. Um, yeah, I mean, we are, it's like, yeah, what could you give up for that? But that is what you need, really. That's what you're describing, you know? The good thing is Memphis have a few young bigs that they could really do with giving bigger minutes to. So you could possibly offer them a scorer like Romeo Langford or Aaron Neesmith. Oh, um, and then you could probably, because like who have, who have Memphis got really that score? You've got Dylan Brooks that's streaky. No. Great. Uh, yeah. Like, I, he's, that's my least, fav- least favorite player is Dylan. It's like, man, I would, man, anything to get Dylan away and yeah, to put more scoring exactly yeah Grayson Allen again is a, a decent three-point shooter can't shoot off movement no has yeah, to be stationary yeah. poor playmaker rebounding is not fantastic we need a backup point guard you're right man I mean that that could I mean like the whole thing is that would be like committing to our what we have now you know uh younger talent which I'm all for I want honestly do you think Jaron Jackson could play the five I think he could play some stretches as a five, and I think that yeah. Grant, um, I think that Grant Williams would be part of that package as well oh, to give yeah, you a small yeah. four five option. That would be crazy. That'd be crazy. Who else would be a part of that? I think maybe Peyton Pritchard gets sent that way um, because you guys have Brandon Clark, you have Xavier Tillman, you've got yeah. Beaks that yeah, are right, very man. more yeah. modernised. So there's definitely a package that can be formed. 
Um, it's just whether or not Memphis are, are biting on that package and whether or not Boston have any interest when their biggest concerns are the four spot. Yeah, yeah. Who is your starting four? Uh, it's been changing quite consistently. Um, usually it's Tatum when Marcus Smart's healthy. Um, but at the moment, we've seen Shemi Ojale start at the four. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's Grant Williams has probably started there at some point. They've been running a two-big lineup, so Tristan Thompson will start at the five. Daniel Tice will start at the four. Uh, it's basically been a plug-and-play position. That's why it's the biggest area of need. You know, that's where I'd expect the big TPE, the Hayward TPE, to, to be used. Yeah, I got you. Awesome. Yeah, man, thank you. Anytime, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. Peace out. Have a good one, bro. You too. All right, right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, a live mailbag episode on the Locker Room app. There'll be an article that drops next Monday just to make sure that I haven't changed the time I'm recording and just to remind you all that it's going to happen. Feel free to download the app in the meantime. Make sure to follow me at AdamTaylorNBA. I'm on every social possible, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and now on Locker Room too. I'm going to be hosting rooms there through the week as well that won't be recorded and put into podcast form, and it'll be great to get to know you all. I'll catch you again on Friday when I've got something cool planned for the upcoming Pacers game.